you all would please join me uh, in another word of prayer before we begin. Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, what we are here for today is to worship you because you are worthy. And God, we, we come expecting to hear a word from you, from your word. We're expecting to be changed. We want to be transformed. We want to be more like Jesus. And if we don't, Lord, change our hearts so that we do. God, I pray that you be with me now as I preach your word. Help me to do so with reverence, with humility, and with boldness by the power of your spirit for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, y'all. Um, before we get started, my oldest son asked me to share with all of you that he surrendered his life to Christ this past Wednesday. The gospel he's heard in our home and in church has become personal to him. And I just couldn't refuse that request. He wanted you to know that this morning. And I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at King's Church in Irmo. And I was going to say, uh, if there's anybody interested in finding out more about what we're doing at King's Church and how you might even be able to be a part of it, uh, talk to me after the service. But you're all Christians here, right? I don't, I don't have to tell you that. That is exciting. It's exciting to know that there's a young seedling church that's committed to preaching the gospel week in and week out and teaching sound doctrine. And where we're seeing, slowly but surely, people surrendering their lives to Christ. That's exciting news. So see me after. I'd love to be able to tell you more about that. And uh, maybe you can find a way to, to, to help us grow, be a part of that work. You know, we're a small church in your denomination just on the other side of the city. And the city needs more beacons. Amen? We're going to need more lions and fewer teddy bears in the church in coming days, folks. Going to need some folks willing to take a stand. It's going to take grit. It's going to take boldness. You take a passage like Acts 4, for example. One of the special marks of the Holy Spirit in the early church was the spirit of boldness. And when you look there, Acts 4, you see that the apostles and the early Christians had boldness and no other name but Jesus. They were uncompromising. Boldness without qualifications and credentials. They were just normal folks like us. And a boldness that only comes as an answer to prayer. They prayed for boldness. And God gave it to them. And it changed the world. We really need to be reminded to trust in God's method for changing the world, not 
relying on our own cunning or our own winsome words or our personalities or our government and its leaders. That's been made painfully clear, has it not? The only thing that will heal the world is the radical transformation of men's hearts. And that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. That's how God works. That's what he does. That's the message and the method. The gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. That's the big idea or the main point of my sermon this morning. You know, as long as I can remember, I've never been very good at just following instructions. You like that? Try to, try to find a shortcut, try to skip ahead. You know, you get that pile of Ikea furniture thing that comes out of the box with the little instructions. And you get frustrated with the instructions, so you just, you just look at the final product and you try to make that heap of junk look like that. I don't know about you, but it doesn't work out for me most of the time. And you know those tests in school? You ever get tricked by those tests where it's like, read all of the instructions first. Before you begin, go through and read all of the instructions. And you're like, nope, you get this thing done. And you just whip through it. But then you find out at the end it tricks you, right? Because had you read all the instructions, the last little thing there is to go back and answer question number one and leave the rest blank. Fell for it every time. <laughs> I just don't learn. I think we all cause ourselves more headaches and heartaches when it comes to sharing the gospel than we need to. I really do. If you share the gospel at all, not, I, I'm not here to step on any toes this morning, okay? But if what I'm about to say comes as a surprise to you, they might need to be stepped on. Mature disciples make disciples. Do not expect to grow to Christian maturity if you are not making disciples or making an effort to. You want to be more like Jesus? You pour your cup into someone else's. Even when we do do that as Christians, when we work through our spheres of influence, the people we know, our friends, relatives, neighbors, coworkers, etc., and we do, we try to, to reach them with the gospel, we make an effort, and we, we pray that the Holy Spirit would convert them, we still tend to make it more about us than we do about Christ. You notice that? We, we, we think too much of ourselves and our relationships with that person or our, our reputations to just get out of the way and let God work the way he says he works. And what I'm telling y'all this morning, y'all, it should be liberating. It should free you. It should free you up. You want to see people get saved? in our city and in our country? I mean, you want to see that, don't you? Do you want to see the church be the church instead of just playing church on Sunday? We got to stop making it so complicated. We got to stop making it so complicated. Stop trying to put wrapping paper and a pretty bow on an old, rugged, blood-stained cross. People need to feel the splinters. Splintered hearts make sincere disciples. 
We don't need to be more clever or well-respected. We need to be bold. And we need to follow some simple instructions. I know it sounds crazy. It is crazy. Paul says it's crazy. Here in his letter to the Corinthians, and turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 18. Let's see what Paul says. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But here's what I want you to hear and to know and to believe is that nothing else works. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but nothing else works. The gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. Three points for you this morning. You ready? We're going to go through this passage and we're talking about the folly of preaching the gospel, the futility of worldly wisdom, and the fear of not being liked. That's fun, right? Three F's. Folly, futility, fear. The folly of preaching the gospel, the futility of worldly wisdom, and the fear of not being liked. First, the folly of preaching the gospel. Paul says here in verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in verse 21, he says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now let me ask you something. Let's say you don't know anything about Christianity, okay? But you recognize there's, there's, there's something wrong in the world. Something's off. Things are not as they should be. People are not as they should be. And somehow you know there's something missing. There's got to be something more than this, okay? That's every unbeliever you know, by the way. Don't believe them if they tell you different. They are lying to you, and they're lying to themselves. They are who God made them to be, and he made them to know him. And they do know him, Romans 1 tells us. They know. They know they're not whole. And so they look for a million other ways to be whole. You would. Some of you have. I did. Now let's say that's you right now. And I present you with two solutions to your problem. Your recognition that there's something not right about the world. Something not right about you. Something missing. A hole. A gap. Door number one. Follow these instructions for self-improvement and enlightenment. Door number two. Follow this man who died on a cross and rose again from the dead. Which, I mean, the world says door number one, right? I mean, what's this have to do with anything? How does that help me? No, I need something I can handle. Put me in the driver's seat on my way to my own destiny. Give me a way that I can write my course. That's every other religion in the world. That's what every other religion in the world teaches and instructs people to do. That's why it's so alluring and intoxicating, this illusion of control. Fix yourself. Follow these steps. Practice makes perfect. But God does not want your perfection. He wants your surrender. You erase your name on the title to your own life, and he writes his in in its place. And when that transaction takes place, his righteousness becomes yours. And that's good because it's actually acceptable to God. And his stains, or your stains rather, become his. So that you can be forgiven. <clears throat> Door number two is the only path to life. So why can't they see it? Why can't they just see it? Well, because Paul says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And somehow it's the most beautiful thing those of us who are being saved have ever heard. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this, okay? How they hear it depends on the Holy Spirit, not you. That they hear it depends on you. You hear me, Christian? How they hear it, it's not up to you. You're off the hook. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That they hear it depends on you. Now, granted, they might wander into church here and hear it from the pulpit, but is that what you're counting on? You will not see the radical transformation <clears throat> you know our world needs so desperately if you just wait on them to show up. You go get them. 
Be bold. And don't overcomplicate it. That's what we do. We make a mess of it. We overcomplicate it. It's the gospel they need. Not your convincing arguments or compelling testimony. They need the gospel. Do you believe that that foolish message, which will get you laughed at by all the more sophisticated and enlightened and progressive people that you know, do you believe that that message is the power of God for salvation, like Paul says it is here? Then despite their mocking, be bold enough to tell them without blinking. You have nothing to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. They do. And they're trying to cover their shame with something that won't work. God help them. Love them enough to tell them. They are perishing without Christ and they need the gospel. They need to hear that God is holy and that he's angry with a world gone bad. But that he loved it enough to take on flesh and to die so that everything sad in the world can come untrue. They need to hear that. They need to hear that he's the only thing that can fill that great emptiness all of us naturally feel in a fallen world. They need to hear that by faith they can be made whole and look their maker in the eye one day without a hint of shame because he bore the shame of sinners on the cross. They need to hear that whoever does not have the son does not have life. That hell is real and there's no escape. They need to hear that. Plead with them. Turn from your sin. Run to Christ. He doesn't turn any away who come to him. He will not reject you. They got to hear that. Now, they may reject him. And they may reject you for telling them. That really needs to be well with your soul. The folly of the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We need to trust God and let the chips fall where they may. The gospel, however foolish it sounds or seems, is the message and the method for healing the world. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Point number two, the futility of worldly wisdom. Paul starts quoting Isaiah here in verse 19 where God says, he'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. And then Paul starts kind of inviting challenges. Where, where, who, where's the wise? Where, who, who's the wise one? Right? Go ahead. Stack up all the wisdom of the world, and you still will not climb high enough to reach God. That's what he's saying here. God didn't allow for men to know him relationally through wisdom, but through relationship with his son, Jesus. So verse 21 again. Since the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, here's the thing. Everyone you know, people, people are always trying to find some other way back to the garden. But we preach Christ and him crucified. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But nothing else works. <clears throat> Paul says this message is a stumbling block to Jews. And to the Greeks' foolishness, verse 23, you catch that? The Jews, they couldn't get over it. What a despicable message. 
you know, some shabby carpenter claiming to be God and coming and lecturing us about the law. They despised Jesus. Despite his many miracles, their distorted perception of what their expected Messiah would look like, they just missed it completely. Their, Their king and deliverer was prophesied to be a suffering servant. Someone had to die and be their Passover lamb to atone for their sins so that they could be reunited with God and paradise could be restored forever. They lost sight of all that. When he finally did come, he's not what they wanted. And so their path to life was blocked by their inability to get over... Sorry about that. Get over the microphone. To get over... Uh, Jesus, the scandal of Jesus and the cross. They couldn't get over it. It's so unbecoming of a king to eat with sinners, isn't it? And tax collectors. What kind of king allows himself to be stripped and whipped and nailed to a Roman torture symbol? Not my king, they said. A stumbling block to Jews. Now the Greeks had a different problem, right? They, They laughed at the story of a crucified Savior. Because why would anyone hope to be saved by a poor fool who obviously couldn't even save himself? They laughed also at the way the apostles told the story. See, in, in this time, they liked the sport of speech. The sport of speech. They prided themselves on their culture and their learning. And so when they hear this message, the folly of the cross... They're like, this, this new religion isn't going to get off the ground. It's dead on arrival. This will never take off. This is a stupid story, and these guys don't even know how to tell a story right. Boo! Go home. Now, you can imagine that be a little deflating if you're the one carrying that news at this time, right? I mean, how do you bounce back from that? What then? Their faith made them bold. Their faith made them bold. That shield of faith Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that lets you be able to advance against God's enemy so that you can use the sword of truth, his word. Faith makes you bold. When your faith is healthy, your witness is healthy. You trust the Holy Spirit and are yielded to his leading. You live knowing that you're safe behind that shield. Faith makes you bold. Not self-reliance or wit. It's only going to take you so far. It's going to, you're going to run out of gas. All the advantages of worldly wisdom are nothing, Paul says here. You know, boasting in worldly wisdom or your gifts or your personality or, or eloquence or whatever it is, right, is foolishness. It's like, it's like thinking you're holding a bazooka and God sees a wet noodle. It's... It's way more than that, actually. It's like you actually holding a bazooka and God holding the wet noodle and still just beating the brakes off you with it. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, verse 25. Boasting in worldly wisdom is foolish. It'll get you no closer to God than the Tower of Babel did. It's not what you need to be saved And it's not what you need in order to be bold in your proclamation so that others may be saved. 
Faith makes you bold. Circle back to that for a second. I want you to get this. Your certainty in who you are in Christ and what he's done for you, that's what makes you bold. That is what qualifies you to challenge the giants of worldly wisdom of your age. Everybody could see with their own eyes how big Goliath was. David saw by faith how big God is. Uncertainty about your own relationship with your maker will make you squeamish when you try to share him with someone else. A man who's uncertain about where he stands with his maker has no heart and no spine, especially when he needs one most. Certainty about who he is in Christ makes him fearless, bolder than lions. Knowing your heavenly father sees Jesus when he sees you because he stood in your place and he paid your debt in full. It's liberating, isn't it? It's, it's emboldening. You don't have to hide in the shadows. You've been brought out to live in the light. You've been called onto the field to play for the winning team. Remember your calling, brothers, Paul says. Where's your strength? Where's your hope? What are you, what are you counting on? Not wisdom or status or governments. That's all futile. Not many of you were wise, he says. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were powerful. None of that saved you, and it's not going to save anyone else either. He tells them, you heard me preach Christ and him crucified. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But nothing else works. Paul even admits by worldly standards, he does a pathetic job of pre preaching the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, if you got up to address a crowd in Paul's day, you had to have rhetorical flourish. The content of the message wasn't as important as the presentation of it. What mattered was, could you sweep up a crowd and captivate them with eloquence and flowery speech? Paul says, no, I have none of that. I've got Christ and him crucified, nothing else. And I don't care if people don't want it or like it. It is the power of God by which men are saved, and that's all that matters to me. That friends, is boldness. That's boldness. That's what we need. Do you think you need impressive speech or a spectacular presence to convince sinners that they need Jesus? You shouldn't. I, I mean, not if God is, is, is using uh, the foolish in the world to shame the wise, and he says he is. Not if he's using the weak things in the world to, to beat the strong. And he says he is. We have to trust that the gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. Worldly wisdom is futile. 
I mean, you look throughout history, and you'll find that the plain preaching of a crucified Jesus has done more to change the world than all of the philosophy and wisdom of men combined throughout the ages. And if you ever find it's not having its desired effect, for God's sake, don't try something else. Nothing else works. Just do more of the same. Follow instructions. And pray for the Holy Spirit to move. And look, thinking about these things, it's not going to help you overcome your fear. Action will. My final point, getting over the fear of not being liked. You know, I think sometimes there's just some things that we need to quit dissecting and exploring and, and picking apart and just get over it already. You know, as Christians, we're, we're, we're always wrestling with something, aren't we? We're like professional wrestlers. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. I've been wrestling with this. Well, when? When already? God has not given you a spirit of timidity. Boldness is not a fruit of the spirit, best I can tell. But faithfulness is. Self-control is. And y'all, you think about Paul. He was bold, right? We, we just said that. He was, he was a man. He wasn't a superhero. He was afraid. He knows what it's like to be afraid. He says there in chapter 2, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But he was still faithful. And he didn't let his heart melt in his chest. Remember that old American cowboy, John Wayne, when he said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway? That's what we do. That's what we do. Because we know God's power is made perfect in weakness, and he'll get the glory and not us. Now listen, if this next part isn't for you, if, if you're not shy about your faith, that's fantastic, okay? But we're just acknowledging the fact that some of your brothers and sisters here are. So I'm just talking to them for a moment. At the bottom of all your excuses for not taking a public stand for your faith and not sharing the gospel with anyone is because you're afraid of not being liked. That's what it boils down to. So I say with love and humility, the reason you don't is because you're afraid of not being liked or approved of or accepted by people whose opinions matter too much to you. That's what it is. Look, if you know it's not, come tell me afterwards. Set me straight. But if you, if you keep your faith to yourself mostly, ask yourself honestly why that is. Camouflaged Christianity is why you find your country in the shape it's in right now. We're going to have to just sit with that for a minute. A few generations of niceness and good manners 
and church attendance, being confused with bold Christian witness is all it took. The enemies of God know how to make disciples. And they are good at following instructions. And they don't mind telling you, you're wrong. And commanding you to bend your knee to their gods of this culture. They're bold. And we're not. I said in the beginning, if you look in the book of Acts, you see that the apostles and the early Christians, they prayed for boldness. Why? Because they needed it. They were under pressure. Scared half to death. Being fed to lions. But they prayed for boldness. And God gave it to them. They needed it. Y'all, we should want and pray for boldness because we need it. You know what happens when you pray for that? He gives it to you. He gives it to you. I'm praying for myself and for all of you that there's a fire in your heart this week that you can't put out, that you'll know it and recognize it when it comes and you just won't be able to contain yourself so that you'll put this into practice. Because again, y'all, thinking about this stuff or just leaving here feeling convicted is not going to help you get over your fear. Practice will. Action will. Let me tell you what I mean. You know, sometimes we pray for God to give us opportunities to share the gospel. And he does. He throws an opportunity the size of a beach ball right down the center of home plate. And we don't swing at it. We watch it go all the way into the catcher's mouth. That ever happened to you? You leave a conversation with someone and you think, missed it. I, I, I should have I, I told them about Jesus. I, I should have invited them to church. I, I should have had their family come over to my family's house so that I can get to know them and, and find out where they are with Jesus. You, you just talk yourself out of it, right? Because... Maybe you think they're too tough a sell. Maybe they're an intellectual. Or, or maybe you know for a fact that they're a part of some other religion. So you disqualify them in your mind and you say, well, they wouldn't be interested. Come on now, you know better than that. You're not omniscient. You don't know they wouldn't be interested. The truth is you're intimidated because you'd have to know all that worldly wisdom stuff for them to listen to you, Right? Or you might look like a fool. A few weeks ago, I ran into someone I hadn't seen probably 12 years. We used to work together. He said, oh, that's awesome. Let me know if you need help. We exchanged numbers, agreed we need to get our families together for dinner, stuff like that. Get in the car, I'm driving off. I thought, huh. God, I know it's not an accident. I ran into this guy today. What do you want me to do? What do you mean, what do I want you to do? You know what I want you to do. I even worked out the whole table thing, dummy. Beach ball, right? 
then the, the next week I had to go back to Lowe's I had to buy some more stain. Guess who I ran into again? Same guy. Beach ball. We'll end up getting together, have dinner, maybe get to work on a project together. But the time's going to come when I need to get in his business about Jesus. I need to see where, where he is with that. And at that point, I'm going to have to get over my fear of not being liked all over again. It feels like dying. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Die daily. I'm going to have to stop thinking I've got to be the smartest person in the room in order to be bold. I have to believe that the foolishness of what I preach is the power of God for salvation. I'm going to need to believe that the gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. Not my gifts, not my wisdom, not my personality. And y'all, you need to believe that too. Because it's freeing, isn't it? And isn't it good to know? Isn't it a load off to know? That you don't have to have all the right words or be afraid of, of being liked. Paul's speech and his message to the Corinthians when he first visited them wasn't wrapped up in pretty paper with a big red bow. He gave them an old, rugged, blood-stained cross and people got saved. Because while it might sound crazy to some, it is the power of God for salvation. It smells like death to some. But to others, it smells like life. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But nothing else works. The gospel is the message and the method for healing the world. So I beg of you, Christian, be bold. The magic and the wonder that you're hoping for, that you're praying for, the healing for your nation that you're asking God for, it happens outside of your comfort zone. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel this week. Pray for an opportunity the size of a beach ball so you just can't miss. And pray for the courage to swing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we confess that so much of our lives, our time, our energy, our resources, are devoted to storing up treasures here on earth. And they're going to rot. Lord, teach us to number our days and to remember that we are marching toward the grave and we're getting closer every day. And so is everyone else around us. So God, break our hearts for lost sinners and give us the boldness to proclaim the folly of the cross so we can take them where we're going. We can't take our houses and our clothes and our boats and our cars and our fancy degrees, but we can take souls with us. We know death is swallowed up in victory, that the tomb was empty, and the grave that awaits us all will have no power over us. Help our unbelief, Lord, that keeps us silent. Cast away our senseless pride. 
Lord Jesus, you invite us as your people to die daily and we rarely come. What wonders we might see if we did. Holy Spirit, I pray you break our stubborn hearts and use us. Use us. Your power is what we need. We need you. Call sinners to yourself and put us in their paths so they may hear the gospel and know that there is one who forgives sins and his name is Jesus. Lastly, Lord, gift our nation with grief over sin and with repentance. Start with each of us individually, each of our families, each of our churches, our communities, and the world. For your glory, Father, and for the good of mankind. In Jesus' name, amen.